Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everybody. Gosh, you are a sociable bunch this morning. Still some convos at the back. You were the most attentive section. Well done. Hey, good morning. If we have not met, my name is Ruben. I'm part of the church here. And I get the privilege of sharing with you for a few moments this morning. Is it okay to still say Happy New Year? Happy New Year. Um, I don't know how much longer we've got on that, but Happy New Year. I'll make the most of it. Um, I get the privilege of sharing with you for a few moments. And do you mind if we just dive straight in? Dive straight in by reading a passage of scripture and then we can chat a little bit more. I'm going to be reading from uh, Exodus chapter 17. So if you've got a Bible and want to follow along, Exodus 17. If not, it'll come up on the screen. Are you ready? Exodus 17, verse 8, it says this. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. If I could tag a title to the text that I've just read, I'd love to speak to you for a few moments this morning from this subject. The staff, the stone, and the squad. The staff, the stone, and the squad. Would you pray with me? And then we'll dive in. Father, I thank you that your presence is a fact and not a feeling. Your word says where two or more are gathered, you are there in their midst. And so we believe that you are here by your spirit right now. And I thank you that because of Jesus, we don't need to be afraid or ashamed in your presence. But we can be bold and confident and at home. As we come around your word now, I ask, would you open our hearts to receive? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? And would you transform us by the power of your word. And somebody with faith said, amen. The staff, the stone, and the squad. As I was reading this passage of scripture a few months ago, I was reminded of the story of the teeny tiny mouse and the two-ton elephant. Blank faces. That's what I was anticipating. Don't worry. I'll tell you the story. As it goes, deep in the heart of the African jungle, there was a raging river. The sound of which could be heard for miles and miles around. And this river was far too deep to wade across. It was far too wide to swim across. The only way to cross this river was on a rickety old bridge suspended high above the waters. And in the same jungle, there was a two-ton, big-eared, gray-skinned elephant and a teeny-tiny little mouse 
that used to ride on its back. And one day, the elephant set out to cross the bridge with the mouse in tow. And as it put its full weight on the first plank, the the tension in the ropes holding it up became palpable. And it began to take a few steps. And soon, ferociously, the bridge was swinging left to right. About halfway across, some of the planks gave way and cascaded down into the water below. And a few close calls later, the elephant finally reached the safety of the other side. And the teeny tiny mouse said, Jeez! Did you see how much I made that bridge shake? (laughs) It's a silly story, but it serves to illustrate what I call teeny tiny mouse syndrome. And teeny tiny mouse syndrome is this mindset that we can often fall into where we begin to believe that we are the difference makers in every single scenario we find ourselves. And I need you to know this morning that I am a self-professed, self-diagnosed sufferer of teeny tiny mouse syndrome. I'll give you an example. I was on a cricket team in school and 11 people on the field working together. If we won a game, it was 100% a team effort. But if you had asked 13-year-old me why we won, without hesitation, I would have told you it was because of my standout man-of-the-match performance. <laughs> There's no I in team, but there are five in individual brilliance. And I embodied that on the field that day. I am a self-professed sufferer of teeny-tiny mouse syndrome. And I tell you that because I think maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons that this story is in our Bibles is because Joshua might have been a sufferer of teeny tiny mouse syndrome. Let's pop a pin in that thought and we'll come back to it in a few moments time. This story takes place as the Israelites are freshly freed from 400 years in bondage and slavery in Egypt. They are now under the direction of Moses, being led by God through the wilderness, en route to this promised land, this land that God has designated and set apart for his people called Canaan. And then suddenly they find themselves under attack from an enemy army. It's so interesting to me that while the Israelites were in slavery and bondage, no enemy armies attacked them. But now that they are liberated from their bondage, faithfully following God, and closer to the promise than ever before, they find themselves attacked by an enemy. I feel part of my assignment this morning at the start of 2024 is to remind us that as the people of God, we have an enemy. But I need you to know this morning that our enemy is limited in power. God is omnipotent. He can be in all places at all times and do all things. The enemy is not. And as such, he has to be strategic with when he attacks. And I've discovered this, that he doesn't oppose those he doesn't perceive to be a threat to his kingdom. And when the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, they were not a threat to the enemy. But now that they're liberated, faithfully following God, closer to possessing the promise than ever before. He is, they are a threat and so he attacks. I think there's a false mindset that can creep into Christianity that says, if we're being opposed, if things are difficult, it must mean that somewhere 
Some way, somehow, we've stepped out of alignment with God's will for our life. But this story shows us that you can be smack bang in the middle of God's will and still face opposition. In fact, maybe that's the moment you have to expect it most. I don't know who this is for, but I sense in my spirit that in our gatherings today, there will be those who come in, and if you're honest, you feel like you are in the middle of a fight right now. You feel opposed in every direction. And maybe you've been up at night wondering, God, where did I go wrong? I've come to encourage you that maybe the reason you feel opposed is not because you've gone wrong, but because you are smack bang in the middle of God's will for your life. Maybe the reason you feel opposed is because you are closer to possessing the promise than ever before. And the word of the Lord would be, hold on. Don't grow tired. Don't grow weary. Hold on. Where he leads you, he will never leave you. It's only a matter of time before you see the breakthrough. In this moment of opposition, God gives Moses a strategy to overcome it. But this isn't just a story about opposition experienced because of obedience and a strategy to overcome. As I was preparing, I felt God ask me a question. I felt him say, Rubes, why do you think that the Israelites didn't use the strategy they used in their last battle in this battle? And so I kind of began to rack my brain and I was thinking, well, what's the story of the Bible so far? You've got creation and Adam and then Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Egypt, slavery. I was like, God, I don't think they've ever fought a battle before. He said, Exactly. Because this is a story about the people of God doing something they've never done before. And God giving them a strategy to succeed the first time. I don't know about you, but I have never lived in 2024 before. We're just about to launch Gas Street Longbridge. We've never been a church with four locations and online before. In the 9.30, we had a bunch of baby dedications and there were these parents holding newborn babies and looking and, and I can only imagine they must look and think, I've never been a parent before. Maybe you've got a new job at the start of this year and you're now looking at your weekly schedule and you're thinking, I've never done this before. Maybe 2024 looks exactly like 2023 for you. And you're like, Do you know what? Kids are still the same kids. Job's still the same. Everything's the same. You've never raised kids the age that they are before. You've never worked your job in a cost of living crisis like the one we're in right now before. And this story contains a strategy to be successful at something the first time. But it isn't just a story about opposition and overcoming it or about succeeding at something the first time. Biblical scholars, theologians, they surmise that the Amalekite army could be up to three times the size of the Israelite army which means this is something that is seemingly impossible. This fight is something that is bigger than the people of God, beyond the people of God, and yet God gives them a strategy to do the seemingly impossible. Sometimes I think about our vision, to be light for the city and beyond, and I think about a few hundred of us gathered in rooms like this, and I'm like, God, how? are a few hundred people supposed to be light for a whole region, for the world. How? It seems impossible. Maybe you're like, 
you're not even to talk to me about the church vision. Like, I'm just trying to not get annoyed at my coworker. <laughs> that seems impossible. I'm just trying to raise my kids to love and serve the Lord in the cultural moment in which we find ourselves. Yo, I'm just trying to stay sexually pure in a sexually promiscuous age and stage. How do you forgive your father who abandoned you? How do you find the courage to go to counseling, to talk about your trauma, deal with your destructive patterns of behavior? It seems impossible. This story contains a strategy to do the seemingly impossible. Do you want to know what it is? Are you bored yet? The strategy comes to the people of God through Moses. And evidently, the strategy has two scenes. And one of them takes place down in a valley. So God says to Moses, get Joshua and tell him to go in the valley and command the army, lead the army. And so Joshua is down in the valley and I imagine him there with his kind of sword and he's just swinging his sword and he's sweating in the heat of the sun and because he's the commander of the army, he's, he's strategizing, he's trying to run plays, you know, one, two, three, hike, let's go. And this is a picture of human effort. This scene of the strategy is a picture of human strength, human power. And simultaneously, there's another scene taking place, not in the valley, but on a mountain, where Moses is standing with his hands raised heavenward. And this scene is a picture of prayer. This scene is a picture of Moses like a a child coming to a parent or a carer in in littleness and in, in weakness, dependency and need and saying, help! And the Bible says that while Moses' hands were raised, the Israelites had the upper hand in the battle. And when Moses' hands drooped, the Amalekites had the upper hand. And so eventually, with his hands raised, Israel overcome the Amalekite army. And then the word of the Lord comes to Moses, and he says, Moses, write down everything that's happened today and read it aloud for all the people and make sure Joshua hits. And it's that little line that makes me think Joshua might have teeny tiny mouse syndrome. Because I'll be real with you, if I'm Joshua and I'm in the valley, and I'm swinging the sword, sweating in the sun and strategizing. And then I thrust my sword into an Amalekite. It's pretty gruesome, I know. And then I realize we've won. This is what's going through my mind. Play it cool, but you are amazing. Oh my word, Napoleon who? I am the greatest military leader the world has ever. I'm going to get a statue for this. They're going to write songs about me for this. And as these thoughts are going through Joshua's mind, the word of the Lord comes to Moses and says, Moses, make sure Joshua knows victory didn't come because of his effort in the valley, but victory came because you were faithful in the place of prayer. And I feel part of my assignment this morning is to say, Gastry, with the mission, the vision on this house, if we are to do everything God has called us to do, if you are to do everything God has called and created you to do, victory will not come because of your effort in the valley, but victory will become because of your faithfulness in the place of prayer. The place of prayer is the place of victory. 
But there's a problem. Evidently, it took a little bit longer for victory to come than Moses had anticipated. And the Bible says that when his hands grew tired, I love that it says when. Because anyone who has ever tried to press into prayer to become a prayer person, you'll know that prayer is tiresome. It's very easy to get weary in prayer. Believing for breakthrough is exhausting. And yet Moses is able to withstand the weariness. And Moses is able to persevere in prayer to the point of victory. And I believe in the nuance of this text, we actually gain an insight as to how he persevered. Passion alone is not enough when it comes to prayer. You have to have a plan. A a vision of being a people who pray is not enough. You have to have a system that facilitates the delivery of the vision. And I believe that Moses was able to persevere in prayer because he did not enter the place of prayer empty-handed. He took with him a staff, a stone, and a squad. Are you bored yet? Do you mind if in the remaining moments we have, we consider each of these things in turn and perhaps ask the question, what does it look like for us to acquire a staff, a stone, and a squad? The first thing that Moses had was a staff. What's my verse? Is it verse nine? Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. This is actually what I use to open the blinds in my living room. It's not a staff, but for today's purposes, use your prophetic imagination. It's a staff. And the staff is a shepherding instrument. It's a practical tool with which the shepherd would herd the flocks and fend off some of the predators coming to attack. But I think for Moses, the staff is much more significant than that. Because when God called him in Exodus 3 and said, Moses, I want you to be the one who leads the Israelites, he he protested and said, how can I do that? And God said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Staff. It was the staff that Moses threw before Pharaoh and it became a snake. It was the staff with which Moses struck the Nile and watched it turn to blood. It was the staff that he held in his hands over the Red Sea and the waters parted. When the Israelites began to complain and grumble, saying, give us a drink, it was the staff that Moses hit a rock with and water flowed in the wilderness. You see, the staff, so much more than a mere shepherding instrument, symbolised the story of God. It was a physical reminder of God's faithfulness to Moses. And I can't help but wonder if standing on the mountain in the moment when his hands are growing weary and the lactic acid is building up in his bicep, he's wanting to lower his hands and he looks up and sees the staff and he's reminded, all my life you have been faithful. 
And as he's reminded of the faithfulness of God, he draws strength to endure just a little bit longer. The story of God strengthens him. Moses perseveres because he has a star. I have a staff. And my staff comes in the form of this Bible. To you, this may just look like a regular Bible. It's pretty tattered. It's pretty worn. But this Bible is significant to me. It's my staff because let me just read you the inscription on the front. It says, to my mother, with best wishes for Christmas 1955. I hope that by reading this book, the book of books, that you may find a friend in the one of whom it tells. Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, and my friend. From your loving son, Derek. 69 years old, this Bible is. Derek was my granddad. And my granddad growing up was my hero. He was a pastor, he was a preacher, church planter, an amazing storyteller. And in his life, he'd seen God do just the most unbelievable things. And some of my highlights of my adolescence was sitting in his lounge and just hearing him tell these wild, crazy stories of how God met him and God showed up and God would minister to people through him. I don't think he knew fully at the time, and I don't think I ever did a great job of expressing this really, but those stories were so formative to me. And they inspired me to believe bigger for what God could do in and through my life. And I left Devon um, nearly seven years ago, and there was a couple years before he passed away where one of my highlights would be going back down to Devon and sitting in that same lounge and hearing him tell more stories of what God was doing, but also getting to share my own stories of what I'd seen God do, what God was doing in us as a church. And I treasure those moments. And when he passed away, um, you know, the offer was extended. Hey, do you want a keepsake? And it's like, absolutely, I want this Bible. And I love this Bible and I, every morning when I get up and go to the place of prayer, I take this Bible because it reminds me of my granddad, but it also reminds me of the faithfulness of God. It reminds me of the stories of provision and breakthrough and power. It reminds me that the promises of God are faithful generation to generation. And as I recall those stories, faith rises up within me that says, God, if you did it then and you did it for him and you did it in those days, then surely you can do it again. Surely you can do it again. And there are some mornings that I go to pray and I'm weary. My hands are drooping. And in the corner of my eye, I see my stuff. And it's like strength to my soul. Do you have a star? Do you have something that symbolizes the story of God that is a physical reminder of his faithfulness? Moses had a staff, but Moses didn't just have a staff. He had a stone. And this is the footstool of a garden rattan furniture set. But again, imagine with me. 
he had a stone. And what is this? Is it verse 12? Where it says, when Moses' hands grew tired, they put a stone under him and he sat on it. I love this because it's so practical. God told Moses, lift your hands. Never told him he couldn't sit down. I think there's this mindset that, again, is kind of pervasive in Christian culture, and I certainly have this. Maybe you do too, but it goes something like this. If it's harder, it's holier. And when we begin to think of the men and women that God could use powerfully, when we think of people of prayer, I think of people who get up at 3 a.m. and fast eight days a week and only eat communion wafers and the gluten-free ones because they are the worst of them all. (laughs) If it's harder, it's holier. And that is why I love that Moses gets a stone. Because in getting the stone, Moses is curating the environment so that it is conducive for his obedience to what God had called him to do. God called him to lift his hands. He never said he couldn't sit. And so when he's on the mountainside with his hands raised and his hands are getting weary, I think he has a moment where he's like, why am I wasting energy in my legs when what I need to do is lift my hands? Get me a stone so that I can conserve the energy from my legs and direct it towards my hands. We quote verses from the Gospels like, Jesus got up long before dawn to pray. How do you know he wasn't a morning person? Jesus withdrew from the crowds to pray. Maybe he was introverted or he'd had enough of the disciples because they're pretty annoying when you read through the Gospels. Jesus climbed a mountain to pray. Maybe he just loved hiking and that was the space that he found the easiest to connect with the Father. Curate your environment so that it is conducive for your obedience. I too have a stone And it comes in the form of this stoneware mug that I purchased from Etsy for a grand sum of about eight pounds a few years ago. A few years ago, I felt like God was calling me to become more faithful and more regular in the place of prayer. And I was like, great, all the passion. God's called me, da-da-da, God, I'd get up in the morning and I'd, I'd set time aside to spend time with him. And probably like two or three minutes in, I'd have been on Instagram and Facebook. Don't even have TikTok, but I'd have downloaded it just to go on it, to do anything but pray. <laughs> Distraction would ensue in that place. And at the same time, I was thinking about how I found it really easy to study in coffee shops. I was doing my degree at the time and I'd go and plant myself in a coffee shop all day, just read things, write things. And I was like, God, how is it that I can do this all day and be so focused, and yet I cannot sustain more than a few minutes in this place? And I felt like he was just showing me that it's because I loved the environment. I love the stoneware mugs. I love the teapots and the loose leaf tea that they would bring me. I love the chairs and that soft ambient music. It helped me focus. And so what I began to do was to recreate that environment in my home. I bought a chair, I bought a mug, I bought a teapot, I bought the tea. And then every morning I would get up and I would spend time in my chair with my tea. That's how I would pray and that's how I spend time with God. Can I be honest with you? I don't wake up every day and want to pray. But there is yet to be a day I wake up and don't want a cup of tea. 
So I've connected the two. I've curated the environment. I've grabbed a stone. Do you have a stone? If you're a morning person, pray in the morning. If you're a night owl, pray at night. If you like nature and being outside, go on a prayer walk. If you love tea, I can recommend a really good stoneware tea maker. (laughs) Moses had a staff. Moses had a stone. But he had something else. And bear with me while I get my third prop. Hello, hello. You look like a prop. Can I borrow you for a moment? And maybe bring a friend so you're not alone. Come on. Hey, can we give it up for my prop as they approach? (laughs) Moses had a staff, he had a stone, and he had a, a squad. In verse 12, again, it says that Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other. Much better. On on cue as well. Well done, guys. They didn't do that in the 9.30. Gosh, it was awkward. (laughs) Do you know how much easier it is to hold my hands up right now? It's going to make the next hour of this sermon so easy. Get your squad involved. It makes it so much easier. Genesis Chapter one, we read the story of creation, and uh, it doesn't take a biblical scholar to spot a pattern of creation and evaluation. This happens over and over again. God says it, we see it, and then he steps back and he says, that's good. God says it, we see it, it's good. God says it, we see it, it's good. Says it, we see it, it's good. Over and over again. Then you turn the page to Genesis chapter two, and importantly, this is before Genesis chapter three which is when sin enters the world and the fall and everything is messed up. And God steps back and surveys all that he's made. And he says, there's one thing that isn't good. Do you remember what it is? It's not good for man to be alone. Remember, this is before sin in Genesis 3, which suggests to me that our primary problem is not actually sin, but it's solitude. We were created for community. And it's my view that our faith cannot thrive. Our faith probably can't even survive outside of the community of God. You guys have been great, thank you. Should we give it up for the the squad? I tell you, you got the Justice League, the Avengers. Get Joe and Jono in your side, you'll be all right. Our faith cannot thrive outside of our community. And as Moses' hands grew weary, people gather around him and they hold up his hands. We talk so much here about joining groups and coming to prayer, things like altar or powerhouse coming up this weekend. You know, we don't do that because it looks good on our church database to have more people in groups or it strokes our ego when the percentage of the congregation in the group is higher. No, I don't actually care about any of that stuff. But I do care that you are in a community because our faith only thrives in community. We were created 
for it. There are moments where you just need some people to come alongside you and hold up your hands, speak words of life and encouragement over you. There are two moments in my week that I absolutely, actually there's only one because Taku selfishly got married and moved out about a month ago. But Tuesday nights used to be this moment in my week that I loved where me and my housemates, we would gather around a table. And we love having people over for dinner. But Tuesday nights, it's like, okay, no, one, no one's allowed over. It's just us. And we'd sit around the table and we would just catch up, turn the TV off. We'd just talk, hey, what's going on in your week? And we'd pray together. I can't tell you how valuable that has been to me. I cannot put it into words because you can be crawling through your week in, in your meetings in the day, in isolation, it's like heavy and your hands get weary. And then you sit with your crew, with your squad. And there's this moment where it just, it's like life to your soul. And the other moment is Friday mornings. Nick Clark is the youth pastor here. He doesn't work Friday mornings. I try and take Fridays and Saturdays as kind of my weekend. He comes over to my house and we just hang out. And we chat and we talk about life and we always try and pray together. And again, it's just this moment where no matter how heavy my hands have been, someone comes alongside you and you find the strength to go again. Moses persevered in prayer to the point of victory because he had a staff, he had a stone, and he had a squad. And just as the band come back up, in 1992, Tiffany's department store of New York City was the victims of a robbery. But it was a robbery unlike any robbery the world had seen before. This elite team of thieves got in, they evaded all the security systems, cracked the codes to the cabinets. They were in there for about an hour. They targeted the jewelry section which at the time was exhibiting and selling this uh, line of bespoke watches. And some of these watches were like 10, 20, $30,000. And they got in and they were in for about an hour and then they left without taking anything. But what they'd done is they had switched the price tags of these $30,000 bespoke watches with the price tags of things that were little more than costume jewelry, two, $300. And then over the next three days, they went into Tiffany's and they purchased all of the bespoke watches with a few hundred dollar price tags on. I told that story in the 9.30 and some guy over there just went, that's a good idea, that. I was like, if I am ever called in for like witnessing, I'm going to have to remember that moment. The enemy is a thief. But what if he isn't stealing the way we think he is? What if he's switching price tags? And he's trying to make us believe that the high price ticket item in the Christian life is getting proficient at swinging the sword in the valley. When the high price ticket item in the Christian life is faithfulness in the place of prayer. Maybe we could stand together as we come into land. This is a particular story about a moment in the life of God's people where they face a physical enemy, the Amalekites. They overcome them because Moses is faithful. 
chances are no one in this room is in a physical fight right now. But the truth is all of humanity is in a universal fight against sin and against death and against the enemy. And 1,500 years after Moses ascended the mountain, Jesus ascended his own mountain, Calvary. And just as Moses' hands were raised, Jesus' hands were nailed to a cross. And as Moses cried out to heaven for help, Jesus pleaded, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And his faithfulness on that mountain means that you and I can be victorious in the valley. In a moment, the band are going to lead us in another time of worship. We just love to create an opportunity to pray for a few people. I'm so aware that I've said a lot of things in the last 25 minutes. In all honesty, if, if anything feels like it's resonated, we'd love to pray with you. But I sense there were a couple of groups of people in particular to pray for. And one was those who, your hands are heavy. And you resonate with that feeling of weariness right now. You've been believing for some things, contending. And you're at the point where you just think, I, I don't know how much longer I can go on. We would love, 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 love to pray with you this morning. We don't need to know the details, but, but just symbolize that by coming forward and we'll come around you and we'll just pray. And then the other group of people that I would love to pray with are, are those who've heard me talk about God calling us to the place of prayer. And there's something inside of you that's like, I know that that's what God is asking of me in 2024. But for whatever reason, you're resistant. Maybe you tried it before and it didn't go well. Maybe you just don't know where to begin. We would love to just pray with you. And then for the rest of us, I wonder if there's a moment from the comfort of our own rows to just begin to ask God, hey God, like for me to get a staff? What does it look like for me to get a stone? What does it look like for me to get a squad? And I truly believe the Spirit will begin to just speak incredibly practically. He's going to point out objects that can become the symbol of God's story. He's going to show you the things you need to put in place to curate the environment. And He's going to bring people to mind that you can reach out to and ask to be the squad. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.